Welcome back to the Modern Life Podcast. This is Tabby. Today I have Anne with me again. You might remember her from the Pride and Prejudice episode. You can find her at Canterbury Chat and on the Red Light Library Podcast. I'll have all of that linked below in the description box. Today we're talking about Dragon Age Asunder, a novel that came out in 2011. We'll talk you through the entire book, so if you're not familiar with it, we're here for you. But we will be discussing other things within the Dragon Age universe, so if you're not familiar with the games or the franchise, you might want to sit this one out. Here we go! You're a better Seeker than Lambert. You care about everyone. You knew Lord Seeker Lambert? I killed him. He cared more about stopping mages than protecting people. You killed the Lord Seeker? Pathetic mages. Crush them at Andoral's reach or starve them out. Doesn't matter which. I need an example. Seekers succeeding, seizing power, overthrow the divine, triumphant in the eyes of the Maker. I am uncertain whether to believe you. You believe I killed him? Alrighty, I have Anne here with me. Thank you so much for being back. Hi, it's nice to be back. So excited to talk about Dragon Age, but before we get into that, uh, Anne, what's your modern thought? It's your interesting fact. Okay, so I was in, I'm in a romance book club, and we recently read this really great romance novel. Uh, it was on the Heaving Bosoms podcast a while back, but it's uh, Olivia Waits, uh, The Lady's Guide to celestial mechanics oh that was the lesbian one right yes 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 it was so good like i was like oh yeah i'm probably gonna like it it's a historical it has science in it it's it's got like all kinds of astronomy stuff and i like astronomy this is gonna be great it was even better than i thought <laughs> the romance was fantastic and there was a lot of just amazing dialogue and prose. And there was this one phrase that just stuck in my mind. It was very thematic. And it was uh, just it kept popping in and out. And it was, astronomers are usually wrong. And it was just so good because this phrase keeps weaving in and out of the narrative of astronomers are usually wrong. And at points, it's her being, like the, the astronomer character being discouraged. And then parts of it being like bold and being very uh, encouraged by the fact that like, it's okay if I'm wrong. It was very powerful. And if anyone wants a good romance, that's one of them. Read that novel. <laughs> was it at all? So you, you think that the science in it and all that wasn't anything that annoyed you? Because sometimes in historicals... Because I know you know a lot about history and stuff like that, but everything was like on brand I, or you could, or it made sense within the world. Yeah, it fit with the time period. She also, and it was like, this is one of my very weird like things. Scientist is a very modern word. Yeah, they were naturalists, right? Yeah, natural philosophers. And she uses philosopher and natural philosopher oh, nice, and astronomer nice. and all these other terms. She doesn't use scientist. So it's great. <laughs> like, I don't remember her using that word. And it would I would remember it because it would bug me. 
And so it's always astronomers and philosophers and like societies. So it's great. Like that is, that is one of the things that was just so cool to read. It's it's interesting because that those kind of details will bother me. But then I can't really go back to wanting to read a romance in a world where, for example, gay people aren't accepted. So I'm okay. I'm okay with them being like way more advanced socially because I want to have fun reading this romance, but I'm, for some reason I'm not okay with some of these other minutia of the decade. But I'm, you know, but I can let go because I'm like, no, I want this fantasy of like thinking these two women could be together and have like a beautiful life together. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's like there's elements of the fantastical, but it's so well grounded because you have these characters who are like, we can never get married. I'm going to forever be like your companion and all that. So that way society doesn't go like, ooh, but it's the, we're not together, but we're together mm -hmm. kind of thing mm -hmm. where it's, it's the, it's known, but no one says it. It's not what they want, but it's what they can get. So they'll take it. I've heard nothing but good things about that book. So yay. Yeah, so what about you and your modern thought? I've been going through the long process of applying for dual citizenship, and I'm just, I just got ready to fill out my paperwork to apply for American citizenship, and it has made me feel, like, deeply uncool. Because the questions it asks you on there, in order for you to become a citizen, are like, have you ever overthrown a government with a militia and I'm like no I'm just it's on the list but I'm just leading my normal life over here like damn. it's like that, that wasn't my plan no <laughs> yeah there's a you get some very weird questions when it uh comes with government stuff it's so really true weird stuff well one of the other ones was have you ever trained child soldiers in the art of war i'm like nope duh, no nope. haven't done that <laughs> but then also one of the questions is like have you ever worked as a sex worker and then i'm like well what if i have i'm like wait a minute <laughs> like that's now i'm like now i'm upset <laughs> it's like now i'm offended excuse uh, yeah. you yeah, a friend of mine was getting like a government clearance for her work and they, they always send people to like, you know, ask around about their past. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. So you'll get interviewed. And I had like a phone interview where a guy asked me if I ever thought that my friend would sell secrets to foreign governments. <laughs> like, would, would she sell sensitive secrets? And I'm like, I think that's the last thing she would do. <laughs> It was such a friendly, nice conversation. He was such a nice, friendly dude, just talking and like saying like, oh yeah, and like blah, 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 blah. And that was the last question. And I was like, what? And then, and it was like one of those things, la, da, 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 da. would she ever sell government, like government secrets? <laughs> no. And it's like, oh, that's, that's good to know. Well, thanks. I hope you have a lovely day. <laughs> like, Okay. So strange. Yeah, one of the last um, questions on there that I'll talk about was like, were you an active military member in Nazi Germany from 1938 to 1945? And I did the math on that. And the youngest I would have to be is like 95 years old. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> well, they've got to ask, I guess. They have to ask. But it wasn't like, was one of your family or like, no, were you alive at you this time? in particular. <laughs> You're like, uh, well, time travel hasn't been invented yet. And here's my birth certificate. So no. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, let's dive into Dragon Age Asunder. I'm so excited. <gasps> All right, let's go. So this book came out in 2011. It was written by David Gator. I feel like we have a different experience with it because I read this before playing, before Inquisition had even come out. So Yeah, I, I of course, I read this way afterwards. Um, and I had actually... Like I got into Dragon Age like a year or two before Inquisition got out, and my first introduction was Dragon Age Two. Oh, you came in late! Oh my god! I came in. I came in very late, and I got into Dragon Age Two because I was like scrolling through Tumblr, you know, the way you do, where you're kind of just like ah, da 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 da, and and this is going to like everyone's going to know like exactly who I romanced in Dragon Age Two. There was a GIF set, GIF set, GIF set, whatever, of Fenris. <laughs> it was of Fenris. And I was like, who is that? I need to know more about this game. And then I fell down a rabbit hole and I have not escaped. <laughs> it was Dragon Age 2. And then I was like, wait, that's the middle game? Origins, did Awakening, went back to Dragon Age 2, and then Inquisition came out. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So when I read this book, everything in this book was like a twist to me, you know? Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I was exciting to like go back and revisit it and rereading it. Yeah, definitely. I definitely felt like uh, because of my introduction to the game and the way I played it, my feelings on the book completely changed because I was like, it's so obvious. But that's what I wondered. Like, if you came in, Inquisition isn't out, and you read this book, would any of this be obvious? No. <laughs> it wasn't to me. <laughs> yeah, it would It would be like, because it's like, of course he's going to do this. It's obvious, but that's because I know the end game. I know what happens. <laughs> before, before we go into going through the plot, do, do you, I find it really strange, as much as I love Jim Norton who's the voice actor for Cole, why why does Cole not have an Olesian accent in the game? I've always wondered that. I don't know why he would have like a Ferelden or Free Marcher accent. What I figured, and this is based on the fact that, uh, at least I don't know how much of it this is fan theory and how much of it is the stuff that happens in, in a, and around circles, is that he was brought in from another area into Orle. That maybe he was Ferelden and they transferred him over. Or maybe he was a free marcher and they transferred him over to the White Spire. And so I figured that it's like, oh, he was from somewhere else and then they took him elsewhere because they're like, we don't want people who are from certain areas to live in certain areas. Because, I mean, there are characters like in this book, like Rise, who was born in Ferelden, but he's in the White Spire. So I figured, oh, they transferred him to other places. 
you as just, soon as they found out. You just conveniently made that up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that is, but that's what I figured because uh, in Dragon Age 2, they have a bunch of uh, mage transfers like, oh, we, we need more mages in our circle or, or we need this. So, you know, we're going and asking around from other circles to bring in more mages. That makes sense. I believe you. I figured that's what it is. But also, they could have given him, given him an accent. We could have had, like, one Orlesian party member, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, Orlesian with a, with a Orlesian accent, French, whatever. <laughs> so I've been, I've been saying Reese. You're saying Rice? I mean, it might be Reese or Rice. Oh, I'm not sure now. Yeah, I don't know. I'll go with Reese because that's easier to say. <laughs> so let's let's get into it. So we are in the White Spire, which is the Circle of Magi in Valle Royo, capital of Orlais. And in the first chapter, we're introduced to Cole, who's the ghost of the spire. And he doesn't exactly know who he is. Yeah, yeah. That he's like, am I real? Am I not? I'm just like... I. I'm here. Am I real? Am I just an ima imaginary thing? Am I a ghost? What am I? <laughs> and it's just terribly sad. So a lot of the people can't even see him. There's rumors going around that he exists. But again, that's why why he's called a ghost. Yeah, it's, it is interesting how, like, between the game and Inquisition, where he's introduced... And this, where it's like, I guess this is his origin story, his voice does change. I noticed that right away because David Gator, this must have been like giving up a child. He had too many other characters to write, so I think Patrick Weeks took over. And I feel like they're both so different, but also both so, such perfect versions of Cole. How do you feel about yeah. that? I, I feel they're different interpretations, and I can see where the change would make sense, like the change in um, the narrative voice for Cole, because, I mean, not only are they different writers, but I feel like things do change in Cole's life. Like, he learns stuff about himself, and so he's able to speak in the, the way that he does in the games. I figure if anyone's listening to this, they probably played the game. So uh, spoilers, ahoy, uh, Cole is a spirit. And so I figure when he just like realizes, oh, that's what I am, he starts using more of his spirit abilities and hopping into people's heads and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we in the book, for example, we don't have any of the, um, what is that called? Illusion that he speaks in? No. What is the word? When you, <sighs> when you start... Sent when you use only words that start with the same letter. Why am I blanking right now? Uh, alliteration? Alliteration, thank you. <laughs> Which I actually really enjoyed in the game, but yeah, we don't have any of that in the book. Can I, can I ask you, in the game, do you usually make him human or more spirit-like? Usually more spirit-like. Oh, really? It, it's weird. Is that why I do it? It's because of Trespasser, actually. <laughs> Cole, even though it's like, yeah, he has the physical form of a young man, he always comes off as more of a child to me. 
Like, it's like, this is baby, baby boy, have to protect him. So I always found it a little creepy that he gets into a romance with like an adult woman when it's like, he's baby. <laughs> he's baby and doesn't really get what's going on. It's, it's a little scary that way, the dynamics. Yeah, so, I uh, always, and I always want Krim to be happy because Krim gets with yeah. that person, right? If we, if you don't make Cola. I don't know, but Varric is my second favorite character. Varric is so good. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna agree with him on everything. And I just feel like that Cola has made such an effort to be more human. I just always feel like it's the right choice to kind of encourage him on that path. I feel like that's the path he was trying to take by himself. But yeah, I, the, the romance thing, I don't know how I feel about it. I, you have a very good point about that. It is a little yeah. weird. And I feel like you have a good point because he is on the path to being more human. He clearly wanted to be for some time. So it's Cole's very hard. Yeah. He's a complicated character. Yeah. It's just at the very end of the game when you're all having that party and you talk to him while he's a spirit. I think I only did this once, making him a spirit. And he's like, oh, I am ready to go. I can already feel myself like slipping away into the fade. And I'm like, don't go. No. I <laughs> no, was like panicking. baby boy. <laughs> don't leave me. <laughs> it's just baby. <laughs> on, to, on to chapter two. I actually really like how the chapters take their time to introduce kind of one character at a time. We get different viewpoints. It's not like chapter one, here are all the characters. Would yeah, and it's it's a bit of a slow introduction, which is nice. I figure uh, we should probably also say Cole has been murdering people in the White Spire. <laughs> He's been doing a little bit of stabbing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's how we end chapter one. He He murders a girl. <laughs> He murders somebody, and he says, what does he always say? Look into my eyes, right? Right before yeah, he's yeah. about to Look murder them. So on chapter two, we are introduced to Evangeline, who is a Templar at the White Spire. She is protecting the Divine Justinia at some kind of party, and then we also get introduced to my first favorite character, Leliana, who is there as the left hand of the Divine. Yes, and there's an attack by a mage on the divine. And I, I actually really loved the action writing in this. I got into it. Yeah, it's really hard to transfer like video game fighting to writing. And I think that he's done a pretty good job here. Yeah. One of the things that I made a note of was the inclusion of Liliana over Cassandra. And I figured like, well, you can't exactly have a plot of the great game, as they call it in Orlais, like the politicking, without Liliana, who is a bard, who does all the politicking stuff really well. Because, you know, Cassandra would just be like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> and just pretty much start punching things yeah. as soon as she gets in. It's like, okay, yeah, you have to have Liliana in the game. I don't know what Cassandra's doing. Harassing Varric. <laughs> I think this is actually around the time that she journeys to Kirkwall, because they say it's a year after the... Yeah, because it's um, Chantry blows up, 937 dragon, so it's 938. Yeah, You're such a nerd! A <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Why do I know the dates? Uh, I may be writing a fanfic. 
that's so great. But um, but I did think it was kind of strange that Evangeline saves the Divine kind of single-handedly and there weren't really other bodyguards around. I, I was like, hmm, that's... A but the action was so good, I didn't mind. It's like a, that's awfully convenient. Right. <laughs> So in chapter three, um, Seeker Lambert comes to the Spire, who is a proper villain, I would say. <laughs> uh, he's very, very, uh, you might as well put a mustache on him that he can twirl. <laughs> but also at the same time, I think what keeps it from kind of going too over the top is that he he's not evil for the sake of being evil. He truly believes everything he's saying. You know, and he truly believes, like, he's doing the right thing. And one of the things that is kind of, um, because Meredith also believed that she was doing the right thing. Meredith Stannard, antagonist of Dragon Age 2, one of. I mean, she constantly believed she was doing the right thing, but she kind of really relished the fact that she could go and murder mages. Like, really enjoyed it. Well, <laughs> and then you also kind of wonder how much of that was her, and at what point was it just the Red Lyrium? Yeah, uh, I mean, my interpretation of the Red Lyrium is that it's just a thing of power, and that it enhances what is already there. Even before that, she has been, like, it was documented that she has always been ruthless and harsh, <laughs> and uh, doing things that are beyond what she needs to be doing. And so in the case of her getting the Lyrium Idol, it enhances what's already there, magnifies it. So instead of power corrupting, it's power reveals. Interesting, interesting, yeah. That was one of the really nice twists that I loved in Dragon Age Inquisition, too, that we find out that Lyrium is alive and the red stuff has the blight. So it's basically like dark spawn. I don't know. I, I There's something going on there, too, with the blight and the calling that I hope they reveal when, if they ever do make a Dragon Age 4. Yes. It's like, there's a lot of material here that we'd love to know about. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So Lambert comes in. He takes over. Nobody likes him. We also, I think in Chapter 3, get introduced to... Reese and Adrian, is that correct? Yes, Reese and Adrian. We have a Reese point of view chapter. Adrian is essentially this book's version of Anders. She is the Anders stand-in. Her name is also weirdly close to Anders, and she's a mage with a temper who wants freedom and blah, blah, blah. And some, sometimes I feel, because I'm one of those crazy people who's always like, but Anders was right, though. Like, Anders wasn't wrong. He was right about this stuff. He was always telling the truth about these things. Like, he's like, this is what's going to happen next. Thing happens. Everyone's shocked. So several of my notes in this were like, but was Adrian wrong? No, she was right about what was happening. <laughs> and so it was, I was like, oh, no, she's the Anders stand-in. So that way everyone could say, Anders went too far. <laughs> Adrian's not being nice enough. Hmm. I yeah. You so you think those two characters are a little too similar? Yeah, I definitely felt like she was one of the weaker characters in this. Oh, interesting. Because I felt Cole was a very strong character. 
like I almost wish that the entire book was from Cole's perspective. Mm. Adrian, I felt was incredibly weak because it was just like, oh, we're just shoving Anders' words into Adrian's mouth and portraying her as a very shallow version of Anders. Oh, interesting. Okay, I maybe I'm biased, but I love everything about this book pretty much. I like I didn't mind the switches in POV. I actually liked Adrian a lot more the on the second read through. Yeah, I I do feel like she's justified in a lot of her opinions. Maybe some of her methods aren't always. Yeah, I get it. That at the same time, um, I always come back to, but was she wrong? No, like she accurately predicted everything that would happen because there's precedents, yeah, centuries of pre precedents. So it's like she's she's not being unreasonable. She's just kind of being fatalist in mm. a way. <laughs> or she's like, well, they're going to kill us anyway, so we might as well, you know, strike first. Right. Yeah, something that also always annoys me in writing is when I'm told characteristics of characters, but then they never exhibit those in their actions. And I, this book didn't do that for me. Like, I could see why Reese was charming. I could see was why Adrian was fiery or, you know, Evangeline was honorable. All the characters made sense. What they were doing made sense for the most part. I think that a lot of people will have very different interpretations of the book. And Again, as someone who is super pro-mage rights, like, I always play a mage. <laughs> Every time? Yeah, I pretty much, I like, I love playing as a mage so much, probably because I would love to be a wizard. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Every time I play as a mage, and I'll just go and watch other playthroughs to see, like, oh, how do things end up different in other playthroughs? And so, I'd, like, really attached to the mages and circles and kind of the like it's a very very hard thing to write a but both sides have problems narrative when you have established that one side has imprisoned the other side for centuries there's a really strange maybe this is no longer going on but there was a really strange um controversy or debate within the fandom where people were getting upset that Anders' uh, action of what he did, of blowing up the Chantry, was an act of terrorism. But to me, I'm like, by definition, what Anders did was an act of terrorism, but that was the point. Like, that, he had nothing... We tried for, like, 10 years, everything else, but, like, this was the only thing left to do. And, and I think whether he's wrong or right is a, is a separate debate from that. But then also all yeah. those all those acts of what the Templars did to the mages, those are all acts of terrorism as well. I mean, they're human rights abuses. So I view Anders as a John Brown character. And for those who want to know, John Brown was an abolitionist uh, right before the Civil War in the United States. And... He led this raid on Harper's Ferry to, uh, it was this place in Virginia, I believe, and he wanted to incite a rebellion. And so he launched an attack on this place to start that. He failed and he was captured and executed. But he became kind of this martyr and his actions debatably led to the Civil War because 
the southern states were like, see, see, like the North is going to attack us all the time. See, this is what they did. They like planned this all. So we have to go and secede from the Union and build our slave empire, essentially. But the debate with historians, and it's a huge debate, but a lot of people agree, is that no matter what would have happened, whatever John Brown did or not, the Civil War was inevitable. Like, if it was not John Brown, it would have been something else. Mm. <laughs> and I feel that Anders is that way, where it's like mm. the mm -hmm. circles uh, breaking apart and the Mage Templar War. He might have been the inciting action, but it was going to happen regardless. One person can't really do this. Mm -hmm. It's like constant pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think you've brought up a pretty good, um, not that I'm trying to compare like a fictional world to, to real history, but what this, what these game writers understand is taking bits of dehumanization tactics, incorporating them in their game. And that's why, it, that's why it feels so, so real. And that's why we have these conversations about it. One of those is a uh, loss of legal status which we see, for example, under coverture law, for where women didn't have any legal rights, where black people didn't have any legal rights. And in this, you know, the mages can go to court and like, they're, they're owned by the chantry, so they don't have, they can't go out and do anything. Basing it on all these things that actually happened j just does the story more of a service and makes it makes it feel more real. I think where the game has trouble is then translating something that's so complex and thought out and trying to match it with game mechanics of, uh, like fighting mechanics, for example. Because <laughs> in the hinterlands, something that always upsets me, it's the first region you explore in Inquisition. And the first cutscene there is Scout Harding just shooting down <laughs> like a mages and Templars. And I'm like, whoa, stop. She has a smirk on her face, and I'm like, you're a murderer. Please stop. Yeah, it's definitely a case of game mechanics and like, oh, we need to have hordes of enemies. Hordes of enemies. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. versus the real life implications of that action. <laughs> like in a world, like with all of these complicated politics, it's like, should you be really just murdering indiscriminately <laughs> yes i i totally agree and those missions of seeking out the the templars and killing them and seeking out the mages and killing them those, these mages have never seen a tree before you're telling me they can survive like out in the wilderness and they would just be attacking people they're they're probably starving the templars who i would i'm just gonna say it now same as you they're the bad guys <laughs> it's hard to make them the good guys Based on, like, the entire lore, it's very hard to make a good Templar because they're all in the system. Yeah. Yep. And you could feel very sympathetic to them. I mean, lyrium addiction. Well, that's what I was going to say. Stuff. Like, they're not running around attacking people. They're probably on the side of the road, like, looking for their next fix. You know, they're tied not to the Chantry. Much. The Chantry has the lyrium supply. So how are all these Templars just running around and I have to I have to kill them? I have to kill them because it's a game and there, there has to be something to do for the player. It's like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So back to Asunder, essentially Lambert has taken 
control of the spire. He's ousted the night commander. And uh, he's taking charge because of all these murders. And he's like, it must be a mage who's behind it, because who else would it be? Templars don't murder people. Um, but then we also, I think Adrian points out that all these people were behind bars. The only people who have the keys are Templars. So nobody really knows what's up, except for Reese, we find out in chapter four. We're on to chapter four. We found out that Reese actually knows Cole. He's one of the only ones who can see him because he's a spirit medium. And he tries to get him to turn himself in. But Cole is so terrified by the Templars that he runs away and Reese tries to chase him down, which attracts attention and Evangeline eventually finds him down there. And then of course Reese is trying to protect Cole because he's like, I don't know who Cole is. He got lost in the system somehow and he's terrified and I need to protect this kid. And so he's just like, oh you know, just uh hanging out, you know. <laughs> Like I do, <laughs> hanging out in the in the dungeons. Yeah, he's charming as Swine does. <laughs> and Evangeline is just like, oh god, he's he's planning to do something horrible, and knocks him out by punching him in the face because that's how Evangeline deals with problems. I am very glad that you brought this up. This is my one glaring. I, I think this is bad writing. This doesn't make any sense, and I adore this book to pieces. She's, she seems throughout the rest of the book to be a very thoughtful person. She doesn't act rashly. She Reese has already like turned off his magic. He's willing to come with her. There's A, no reason for her to assault him. B, she hasn't grown up with Hollywood movies thinking that if you knock people on the head, they will just pass out and there are no lasting injuries or death. Or Because she not only knocks him out, but then doesn't catch him. She lets him like fall on the stone floor so i felt like this was something a modern writer wrote in because they that's what they grew up with but somebody living at the time wouldn't just think like a head injury has no consequences especially not evangeline there's like a couple of things with it that and in general a lot of stuff with the templars always running around in their armor all the time oh yeah no i'm like (laughs) i'm like one that shit expensive too. That shit heavy. Yep. yep. Like, you'll be wearing protection, but why would you constantly be running around in plate armor? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I definitely felt that um, this was an addition from a modern writer to you know be like girl power. She's right, strong. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. She can punch a man. So tough and. <laughs> That's like, it's just really embarrassing because it's like, uh, I don't, that doesn't feel right. Yeah, it feels out of place. If, if like you're making this character a good Templar, someone who is honorable and does the right thing, this feels wrong. And it also never comes back. Like, we never talk about this, like, hey, you all tried to kill me. Like. It's like, you cold-clocked me. (laughs) And then also the fact that he is, that Reese is without food or water for four days in the dungeon, somehow... That boy would be dead. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, let's be honest, dehydration would have taken care of him. Yeah, he, w- he would be dead. He's not, I don't think he's used to being without food or water. And then also the chapter is written from his point of view, but he it's just written like a normal person. Whereas if, if that was a real person, the only words in that chapter would be food, water, food, water, I'm dying. You know, I, I wasn't in yeah. I wasn't in his mind because I'm like, that's not what he would be thinking of. They do have him try and, I think, eat something and he throws up because he hasn't been eaten, eating anything. I'm like, okay, that's that makes sense. But still, he like... Yeah, his inner voice, his, his inner narrative, his inner voice is very like calm and still snarky and relaxed or it's like at this point i think he'd just be like oh god i'm gonna die that's that's it that's exactly what i was trying to say (laughs) perfect yeah (laughs) so next he's being saved by his mob who's also a spirit medium it's a win plot twist (laughs) it's like a because it is established that spirit healing and communicating with spirits is a pretty rare gift, like magically. So as soon as I was reading this, like, and I got to the point where, oh, Reese communicates with spirits, who else communicates with spirits? And I was like, immediately, well, he can't be related to Anders, because we know Anders, and we kind of know his family. It's like a whole thing with his backstory as a romance option. And then... I was like, wait, Wynn's a spirit healer, and she had a kid. You're too smart for me. You're too smart for me. Everything in this book was like a twist. I was like, what? (laughs) It was purely me just like, wait a second, that's a really rare gift. And kind of going into like recessive dominant traits. Is is that a thing with magic? (laughs) As soon as she showed up, I was like, yes, I did it. I did it. (laughs) This did not happen often in the book. I I will say that this was my one victory of I predicted something. So we then find out that one of Wynne's friends is a tranquil who has been possessed, which should be, uh, which shouldn't happen because tranquils are severed from the fade. And they have to travel to Adamant Fortress in the Western Approach where this Tranquil does his research and she needs her son's help. And also Adrian is coming with as well as Evangeline. Yes, because they're they're like, oh, right, we need a Templar guard so that way we don't get into trouble because, you know, the Chantry and the Templars will get mad and I need a spirit medium Because I don't know if I could do it by myself. So I pick my son. And Adrian's like, well, I'm coming too. (laughs) And so there's our merry band. They're off to go and figure out what this tranquil guy, Faramond, has been doing to get possessed. (laughs) Um, Also, Lambert comes to Ava's room, compliments her on her promotion, but also implies that he wants the mages killed if anything comes out about the fact that tranquility can be reversed. And while this happens, Cole is snuck into the room, so he then decides to leave the White Spire and follow Reese to protect him from Evangeline. Yeah, because Reese is his friend, and he's like... You can't hurt my friend. 
I'm going to go and make sure he's okay. And it's like, he essentially is like, he's peeking in on Evangeline in her private hours, private quarters, and she's just so that way he could protect his friend. It's very sweet. Just, it's really great with Cole. His his voice is very strong. Even though I enjoy the uh, switching point of views, I could read an entire book from Cole's perspective because it's just so charming how he sees the world. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so this, um, there were so many twists in Inquisition and nobody talked about this. That with Cassandra, you find out that Lambert knew all along that you could reverse tranquility. And, and, and like, nobody talked about this. And I'm like, everybody's just talking about Solus being like the dread wolf. And I'm like, did, did, was I the only one who saw this? Like, <laughs> that that blew my mind yeah. when I played the game. I was like, what? But I guess it was just me. <laughs> nah, I mean, Lambert knew. All along, he knew. And he's just like, I'll sit on this because I think that it's a bad thing. And I think that all mages should be tranquil or dead. Because once again, if we haven't established it enough, Lambert is the worst. He's terrible. <laughs> So this whole journey, this is another one of those things where I'm like, how can mages just ride horses forever? Do they even have like a yoga room or anything like in the circle? Like, do I mean, think about these poor horses. Are they like bicycles? <laughs> they don't seem to need to rest or eat or anything. And it, I mean, it's hard to ride a horse. Like if you haven't done it, like... Your legs will hurt, especially if you've just been, like, sitting around reading books and have never been outside like these mages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, this was a meme joke, and, oh god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell on myself right now, but, uh, I wrote a fanfic based on this meme and this joke, because in, if you play, have played Dragon Age Inquisition, the mages, all the body types are essentially the same mm -hmm. for whatever race that you choose to play. So if you play an elf, you're always, uh, your elf will always have the same body type, even though you can customize the face. And the human body type is the same for warrior, rogue, and mage. And so you have this uh, mage, Trevelyan, this is really apparent with the male mage, who looks like a total beefcake. <laughs> He's like a brick shit house. He's just huge. There's a weightlifting room in the circle, I'm telling you. Exactly. And so that is that was the joke. It's like, oh god, what was he doing to get so shredded? Like, do they just like lift bookshelves and benches all the time to like, you know, diss on the Templars? Like, is this their way of intimidating them? They're like weightlifting and they're like, wizard, give me your protein shake. <laughs> so that way they could be super buff and swole. And I think that's what it is. And so I wrote an entire fanfic of how all the mages are like weightlifters in secret. And that really, they're all just super, super buff under those robes. They all have a six pack. And this is just their way of like uh, dabbing on them haters. <laughs> so 
Yeah, that's oh, um, that's my theory. So yes, there is a weight room in the circle. <laughs> I take it all back. You're right. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> to also be fair, for all of the magic moves, you're twirling your staff around like a bow staff. So you could be really shredded. <laughs> All right. So then, so here's something we found out in chapter seven about Evangeline's backstory. That that is another one of those things that makes not a lot of sense. We find out that she used to be nobility, and she lost her estate because she didn't. There weren't any male heirs, and she didn't have any kids. So one of the uncles or cousins got the estate. And this is mentioned in just this throwaway manner. Like, oh, of course, she didn't have any male heirs, so she doesn't get the estate. This has never been a thing in all of Dragon yeah. Age. Like, never. That you have to be male to inherit. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, it's a huge thing to, like, just throw in there. Because, I mean, yeah, you could have a bastard son become the king. Right, right. <laughs> and... <laughs> There's nothing about a woman not being able to inherit. Is this just an Orlesian thing? Doesn't seem like it. The, no. I mean, you have Selena's Empress. <laughs> yeah, so this, I feel like they just had watched out now being like, ah, yes, the estate is entailed away. Like, it doesn't actually yeah. make any sense within Dragon Age. <laughs> Gator was reading Pride and Prejudice, Pride and, Prejudice. and remembered the Bennets. <laughs> he remembered their really unfortunate situation and was like, hmm, I could use this. <laughs> so we also find out a little bit about the other book, The Masked Empire, which is the political intrigue one, setting up the choice between Selene and Gaspar. So as yes. they're riding through the countryside... And Briella. <laughs> Gaspar is um, kind of making his moves... There's like troop movements, but the characters in the story don't really know what's going on. They're like, what's happening? Meanwhile, Orle is gearing up for their civil war. One thing I did enjoy about this is the fact that they have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. So they're just speculating and they're freely saying, we're speculating. We don't know. And it's better that we don't get involved because the moment we get involved, we're not going to be able to leave. So it was like, yeah, that's really good that information is slow you're not going to mm -hmm. know everything right away mm -hmm. and that you're pretty much stuck like we just have to keep doing what we're doing and we have to avoid towns <laughs> there's also a really quick incident at an inn so they've been camping out but then they go into an inn and these few peasants think it's a great idea to try and attack these people in robes and plain armor so <laughs> Nobody gets hurt, but maybe it just shows like how much people really hate the mages. Yeah, I mean, that's what the incident is there for. And then once again, Adrian's right. She's like, they're gonna string us up, so we might as well fight and try to get out of here. I mean, Evangeline stops it by, you know, yelling and calling Adrian stupid. And also giving Adrian a head injury. Did you catch this? She like knocks her into yes. the fireplace or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that drives me crazy with the way that um, everyone treats the mages, but the way that Evangeline in particular treats Adrian. Always calling her a stupid girl. 
because they're always treated like children, though I would argue they're treated more like dolls, like toys that you just put back on the shelf or in their box once you're done playing with them. Like that's how people treat the mages. And the way that Evangeline is constantly calling Adrian a stupid girl is the worst thing. I didn't even notice that. And I've read this book twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like, it's the one thing that I noticed constantly is that people were treating the mages like children, in particular, like Lord Seeker Lambert and other Templars. And they're like, oh, you're just children. You don't know what you're doing. It's like, well, why are they children? Yeah, it's like, you're just a child. You don't understand the real world. It's like, well, who put them there? <laughs> and there's there's something Aoife says here that I had to think about for a little bit because she says... She says something about how bad these peasants have it, especially, you know, the elves and the alienages. We kind of get a little bit more into this, into the masked empire, how, and even Inquisition, how normal people don't, don't have any rights, same as the mages. But, but I'm like, but does that make it okay? Like, yes, I, I'm, I'm locked in this tower and I can read and write and I don't have to worry about food, but does saying, just saying these two groups have it just as bad make that okay for either group? It's like, this isn't oppression Olympics. Right, they all have right. it bad. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the thing that they're using it for is like, everyone has it bad, so shut up. When it should be, everyone has it bad, the world isn't fair, we should make it fair. Yes, yes, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, the world might not be fair, but we can be as best we can. And once again, it's like, yeah, sure, the mages have food and they have books they know how to read. They've also been in prison since they were children and have a sword hanging above their neck constantly. There's also some weird, like, Nazi genetics thing going on here because they don't have any sexual freedoms or sexual rights. So I'm like, are they yeah. afraid of them reproducing and making more mages? Which is like a whole... I feel like nobody ever talks about that part of it either. The one fandom theory that goes into this is that mages do have children. Sometimes in relationships with Templars that are some of them consensual, some of them not. Uh, they have children with other mages and stuff. And those children are taken away. Like how when with Rise, Reese is that she had Reese and he was taken from her. Yeah, they grow up at an orphanage, right? Chantry Orphanage? Yes. And the fandom theory is that, yes, they want to like cull the mage population, not have as many mages. But the theory is that they all, they're all the Chantry Orphanage and they're like kind of keeping an eye on them, seeing who develops magic, who doesn't. And it usually shows itself at a pretty young age. So those people those orphans who show that they have magic are put in a circle, but the ones who don't usually become Templars. Oh, yes. Alistair says this, doesn't he, in Origins? Yes, yes. And the theory is that Templar abilities, being able to ingest lyrium and everything, you're better at it. You can endure it more and endure those abuses more if you have ma magic in your bloodline. Oh, okay. I've and never heard the theory. that theory before. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a theory that it's like... Interesting. Because they because of that. And so the Chantry, if they want to keep Templars and have their standing army, they want mages to reproduce. So they don't, you know, 
do a massive sterilization because they want to, you know, still have potential future soldiers. This is mentioned in here too. I think it's either Reese or Adrian who say like, oh, you only want us when there's a war on. Or, or even in the Civil War, they say like, this is not our war, but we'll probably be called to fight in it because we're useful. Yeah, I mean, useful as healers, useful as soldiers, all that. And then you put them back on their shelf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so chapter eight, there's not much that happens. They finally arrive at Adamant. The Western approach is terrible. Yep, it's a desert. <laughs> Darkspawn attack. I do have a quote here. This is on page 150. Reese talks about how he had kind of this quick stint in Tevinter, working there as an apprentice. So he says about this place in Tevinter, even the grandeur of Valroyot with all its palaces and gleaming buildings didn't compare to this Tevinter city. Signs of age were everywhere, crumbling statues of dragons, the remnants of ancient temples, decrepit buildings covered in moss. It was as if the entire city was built on the bones of older places, and those older places built on top of ones older still, with the past poking through like weeds and refusing to stay buried. And I just love this description of Tevinter. I mean, that's the whole point of the villain in Inquisition, is like this, this bygone age that he's trying to bring back. And this, like, holding yeah. on to the past. And I, I just love this description. I thought it was so good. Yeah. The description felt like he, like Gator, was talking about ancient Rome. Rome, or yes, Rome in yeah, general, yeah, yeah. yeah, where it's like ruins upon ruins, just poking out of modern buildings. Yeah, that's a really interesting description of Tevinter, and it actually tells you a lot about Tevinter and Tevine as a society, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like tells you all about the Imperium and just a little section of where it's like, no matter how much they build, they're constantly hearkening back to this older age and even older ages beyond that. Like, they want that. So then when they, um, when they arrive at Adamant, there's a group of White Spire Templars waiting there for them. And th it's kind of like menacing, but also bringing one Templar along with like three mages. You should have had more Templars <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> it's not yeah, a lot. It's, uh, Lambert's just, you know, putting in insurance on his murder these mages yes. and keep the truth yes. truth smothered. Yeah, and of course, Adrian's instantly like, you were in on it all along, weren't you? Of course, all Templars are the same. There is no such thing as a good Templar. You were in on it the whole time. And Evangeline's like, no, I wasn't. I was not. This is as much a surprise to me as it is to you. But Adrian, of course, doesn't believe her. Fair. Because Evangeline has, you know, cold clocked her a couple times. <laughs> and has called her dumb. So Adrian's not going to be charitable towards her. Let's be honest. And I would be very suspicious as well if suddenly all these Templars just happen to be where we're going. Mm -hmm. So we also get introduced to Shale, who's been waiting there, kind of guarding the keep. And also we find out that Cole has been following them. And he can also hear the Darkspawn song, which comes out of the uh, abyss in the in the ground, which is where Adamant Fortress is, if you remember from the game. Yeah, yeah, all. yeah. 
And then at here, uh, me as a reader who hadn't played Inquisition, I'm also kind of like, how is he keeping up with the horses and how is he not eating? There's never any description of him eating. And I'm like, hmm, something's not right. <laughs> at this point, I still think he's like a human being, so. <laughs> yeah, and of course, me having played the games before reading this, I was just like, oh, yeah, he's been just kind of like teleporting around, yeah, hopping yeah, in yeah. and out. <laughs> but Cole himself is not aware of this. Yeah, he has no idea how he's doing it. He's just kind of like, well, I need to be here, so I'm going to be here. Another thing also is that Reese and Evangeline are getting a little bit closer because this is a romance. Yay! I love yes. romance. <laughs> I guess because we're both avid romance readers. How did you feel about the romance? I, I loved it. I'm sorry. I, I love this kind of stuff of like, oh, we're not supposed to be together, but we're together. Forbidden love. It's really interesting because um, what I did like was at the end how their romance works out because when it's like this i am always like the power dynamics are really disturbing and that's one of the reasons why i'm actually i can handle the cullen and uh, mage trevelyan romance in inquisition is because they've both left their organizations and technically if you're playing as a female mage trevelyan you are the Inquisitor and you're his boss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the dynamics in that arrangement are very different from what they would be if they, he was a Templar and she was still a circle mage. And they have multiple conversations of consent about that as well. If you play as a yeah, mage. Where, where it's like, are you okay with this? And he's like, I might not have been in the past. I'm okay with it now but we'll keep talking about it. <laughs> right, but I think what's also so significant about about that is that he he says, I, I wouldn't have been okay with it in the past because A, you would have been one of my charges and B, like, what I did was wrong. You know, I think that's what people were looking for from Cullen. And he does have those moments of like, I was wrong and I will never let that happen again. And I, I was in yeah. love with Colin back in, like, Origins, when you have, like, that one <laughs> line of being at the circle. <laughs> and he's yeah, like... It's like, yeah. Cullen's, Cullen has been through some shit. He, he's been through a lot. And it is big of him to be like, what I did was wrong. And the only thing that I can do is to try and make up for it now, because I'm still alive and I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... That's what really works is that he is trying and sometimes he falls back into those patterns. He gets pissed if you recruit the mages. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he gets pissed, but then he kind of, he, he doesn't walk it back, but he's like, okay, I can handle this. I've got a handle on it. I'm going to work through it. Those old patterns, those old behaviors are still there. He's still him, but he also recognizes recognizes his mistakes, and it's really great. What like made it a little uncomfortable in this, but what made it really good in the ending is the fact that they're still in their respective places. So the flirting does get uncomfortable. I mean, Evangeline tries not to. Like, she's really, really like, I'm not going to flirt with him. I'm going to just do my job and like roll my eyes if he tries to flirt with me. Like, I'm not going to, you know, do anything back. 
but it's like she keeps bailing because it's like he keeps kind of like needling her a little bit. So it's like the dynamics are cute until I remember she could technically kill him without like any problem. <laughs> that is true. But also it's also just Reese being himself. Like you feel like he does this with everyone. And then kind of three quarters through, you realize him realizing, oh, no, I actually care about this person. <laughs> like, I was just messing around, but like, yeah. Like, whoops, caught feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so next what happens is, oh, Reese does save her in a battle. Yes. And it turns out that the entire adamant fortress is overrun with demons and abominations and all kinds of horrible things. They do find Faramond as a demon within a binding circle, and they figure out, well, based on the runes, that he has locked the doors from the inside and safeguarded himself so the demon cannot escape. So they already know something's wrong because they knew that something bad was going to happen. There's also a woman that Cole finds that he frees. This never comes back. <laughs> no, I mean... I'm not surprised that Cole doesn't mention it again because Cole kind of has like a huh, what's going on sort of right bite. but it's not like the the Templars outside don't even say anything of like oh there was a lady that ran out like what yeah what? so part of me wonders is like was anyone actually there like what what was this oh I see I see okay what was going on because the whole point of this was he was like, oh, I'm going to kill this person. That'll make them feel better. And then he decides, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to stop killing people. This is like a big character turn point for Cole. But then this woman, yeah. like, never, come, never comes back. So she's starving to death in the desert. Yeah. Cole has been killing people because he's like, it's the only way that I know that I'm actually real because I'm doing things. Yes. yes, yes. And it's like, this is the only way I can do it. And he's like, wait me killing people got Reese in trouble and I don't want to do that. <laughs> so he stops. <laughs> so then they try to beat this demon in the Fade. Everybody gets caught in the Fade. One of those classic everybody's in the Fade. <laughs> yep, we gotta have one in every game. <laughs> oh god, that is my... I can get through it in like 15 minutes now in Origins, but oh boy, I don't like being alone. <laughs> I don't like doing things on my own. Yeah, you're like, I want a friend with me. I Please want my let me have back. my friend. <laughs> but uh, yeah, essentially, they end up in the Fade and shit starts going down because that's what happens in the Fade. We've all played the games. We know what's up. <laughs> yep. So here, there's two things that happen. Adrian gets stuck with Wynne and she finds out that Wynne is being possessed by a spirit. We know this from playing Origins, that Wynne is being kept alive by the spirit and then also Reese and Evangeline find out that Cole has been taken to the circle because of this whole backstory where his dad was abusive to his mom, killed his mom Cole was hiding in one of the cupboards in the kitchen with, with sister. tried to make the sister like stop crying and then accidentally suffocated the sister he then eventually ends up killing his dad and, and at yes. this point, I'm like, oh, this is his backstory. Like, I still don't know that he's a spirit, right? None of this actually happened. Yeah, to the coal that we know. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, at this point, you're like, oh, this is what happened. And meanwhile, I'm like, ah, 
this is what happened to the other one. <laughs> to the real Cole, yes. And then also, Cole, when Cole recognizes Reese and like stumbles out of the cupboard and starts crying and Reese is hugging him, I, I am also crying at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's one of the things that I really like about Reese is that he's incredibly compassionate. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, I see this kid crying. Of course, I'm going to give him a hug and try to fix the problem. Doesn't hesitate. And also, Cole is the spirit of compassion. So it makes sense that they're yeah. attracted to one another. Yeah, of course, of course, Reese was able to see him and always see him and never forget him. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> cries. <laughs> But yeah, that that's what happens. And Evangeline could see Cole because she hasn't seen Cole at all, even though Reese keeps telling her, I didn't kill all these people. I think it might have been my friend, Cole. And I don't know what Cole is exactly. Clearly he was brought in. You should look at your records. Yeah. And Evangeline is like, okay, he's just, he has an imaginary friend. Yes. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> And then she's like, oh, crap. He was telling the truth the whole time. Shit. <laughs> so Wynn then beats the pride demon like a badass motherfucker. Um, yes. Like the badass grandma she is. Yeah. <laughs> then in chapter 13, we kind of just have everyone waking up from the fate. People are fighting because Evangeline tries to kill Faramond because now with him being no longer tranquil, all his emotions come back at once. He's even more susceptible to demonic possession. And then also we have Adrian. We have Adrian attacking Evangeline here. And then the quote is, the Templar fell to the floor amid several bodies, letting out a grunt of surprise. The sword did not leave her hand. That's how much of a cool soldier she is. I just love this little detail. Like, even if she's knocked down, she's, like, ready to go. Wouldn't it be funny if it was, like, the armor was so heavy that she couldn't she get couldn't back get up, back so she was kind of like a turtle, <laughs> like, on her back? Like Christmas story? Yeah. <laughs> that, that would ruin the seriousness of the scene. But it's really funny to think about, where she's like, ugh, like, I can still get you. <laughs> but uh, they're all stuck and uh, trying to figure out what they're supposed to do next. And Evangeline is like, I might have to execute this guy. And everyone else is like, uh, excuse you. And Wynne's like, my mission was a mission from the divine herself. You cannot execute me. <laughs> Yeah, and Evangeline's kind of grateful for this, like, oh, yeah, she has a point. Let's have the Divine deal with this. Like, I don't want to go up against three mages and a block of rock that can smash me. Yeah, and also, she she is also, at this point, having a lot of doubts about Lambert. Yes. Like, a lot of doubts. Because even before then, she was... Even when he first came in, she was like, huh, this is really suspicious, but okay, you're the Lord Seeker. You're like my boss's boss. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll follow your orders because they seem reasonable. Like, yeah, I'll keep an eye on these guys. And if something horrible happens, I'll do what I have to do and put them down. <laughs> and then as soon as like Wynne gives her the option of the divine told me that I had to do this mission... And then I had to go and find Faramund. He, she wanted this research done. She's like, great, I'm taking that option. Yeah. We're going to go and talk to the Divine because if this is her business. I'm loyal to the Chantry, too. 
Yes. And then we also, so something we haven't mentioned is even though Reese and Wynn are related, there's a lot of tension here between them because Reese doesn't know his mom really well. She's more about keeping the mages in the circles. He's more about give the mages freedom. So they, there's a lot of fighting between them. Yeah, there's like a lot of ideological differences. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, there's a tension there of you're my mom, but we can't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can't have those hard conversations because what is there to say? Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a lot of tension in their relationship. It would have been cool to explore it more, but this is already a book that's over 400 pages. Yes, yeah. So Evangeline somehow gets those other Templars to F off and go back home. They deal with more civil war unrest and have to be even more careful on the roads. And then also she offers, this is kind of like a big moment, she offers Reese the phylacteries. And is like, you could escape. You could try to run away. Yeah, and they do establish that Evangeline is very uncomfortable with the phylacteries. Like, she does not like the idea that they are using blood magic because it's convenient when they have this mm-hmm. whole ideological thing about blood magic and how it leads to possession and evil things. And you don't want to be like the Tevinter Imperium, do you? So the fact that she, as soon as she gets the opportunity, as soon as she's like, this is my chance. She's like, here, take them, destroy them, and go. Like, you could do that. I'll say something like they knocked me out or whatever. <laughs> and that's a a big, like, tell of Evangeline is a lot better of a person and a lot more honorable than she lets on. This was the moment where I was like, oh, okay, she isn't just talk. Because mm-hmm. everything else you could kind of say, even the, oh, yeah, we'll go to, to the divide, you could be like, okay, she's submitting herself to a higher authority. Like, she's decided, okay, Seeker Lambert, uh, the divines will trumps his, therefore. So it could be just a numbers game to her. This was a moment where it's like, she's going out of her way and taking a risk mm-hmm. by saying, I will take the fall, you guys get out. And also something else that Wynne has kind of concocted up is that because Reese is a spirit medium, this is another thing that could keep him from being thrown back into the dungeon because he's one of the only people who can learn this ritual of reversing tranquility because Faramond only knew how to do it with a demon, whereas Reese or Wynne could do it with just uh, any spirit. Arguing that to the Templars is going to be difficult because the Templars don't often see a difference between spirits and demons. Exactly. Unless, unless it's an emergency and they need healing. Oh, yeah, yeah, then yeah. Then spirit mm-hmm. healing is just okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, phylacteries and blood magic. If it's convenient, we'll ignore everything. <laughs> yeah, that is like Wynne's trump card to keep her son safe is that he has a rare talent that is valuable. Therefore, she's hoping they won't kill him. So she also sends Shale to one of the circles nearby to send a message 
to the divine to say or to the white spire to say that they're coming this i'm just going to spoil right now this was actually not wind's move but the divines and we also learned that she sends shale sends messages to all the other circles summoning all the first enchanters to barrio for like a big meetup yeah the conclave one of the conclaves. One of the conclaves. <laughs> also, um, yeah, which they haven't had in a while. <laughs> oh yes, that's a good point. It has been forbidden since after Kirkwall. So also, Evangeline and Cole kind of start building more of a relationship. She really, really tries to remember who he is because people start to just forgetting him. Yeah, she really puts in an effort to try and remember Cole, and she's really plagued by guilt because of what Reese has said of like he was in the circle I found him in the dungeons and she's like I know nothing about this is this my fault because I should have known if there was someone in the dungeons and forgotten about well that's my problem and we do find out that they did let that boy starve there and then they covered up all traces of him which is why they can't find any records of Cole in the system Yes. And she's just like, this happened under my watch. And so it's like, I really appreciate her for trying, like really putting in the effort. Again, it's like, oh, Evangeline is a noble person. So Reese and Ava and like, and Cole, they're such a like, as a family unit, I love them so much. And I was so hoping to meet both of them in the game. So that little mission that you have of finding him. That, that war table mission of like locate Reese and Evangeline that the scribbles that Cole puts on the reports the first time I saw those I cried playing the game you're just like oh, no. when he writes yeah. like I he remembers me I was like eh, and I'm like does this mean anything to anyone else who hasn't read the book but here I'm like crying playing the game uh, I mean it retroactively changed a lot like thinking back on that it's like oh this really mattered to cole uh, i mean i figured like it's like yeah of course it mattered to him like when i played the game it's like yeah sure this is someone that he knew and he cares about but then actually reading through the book i'm like oh this was the first person who was kind to him but uh in any case they all travel back to val Rayo, and then they finally they make it outside of the city and it's chaos. <laughs> Just like people camped out. The gates are closed. It never is like that. The, the gates never close, but they're closed today. And there's people camped out outside of the city. There's people organizing. It's like, oh boy, civil war. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, so Lambert also immediately demotes Evangeline because she didn't do no killings out on the road. <laughs> He's very sad about that. Uh, he's like, I sent an entire, like, troop of people. I sent a whole bunch of Templars to help you do the killing. How did you do the killing? I gave you a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Why didn't you take it? <laughs> yeah, so she immediately gets demoted, and she's trying to explain what went on, and he's just not having it. He's like, I don't care. You didn't do what I t explicitly said, so... You're demoted, and we're going to go and talk to the Divine right now. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the description of the Divine, where uh, Reese is talking about uh, the first time that he has ever met the Divine, and it was the previous Divine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, where's my porridge? 
Yeah, where it's this old woman with like three teeth in her mouth. Mouth. She's barely able to like examine the world around her. She's completely senile, and she's like, "I told them I wasn't hungry. No more porridge." I said, <laughs> and the the mages, most holy mages, <laughs> and she's immediately like, "Oh, we're under attack." We're under attack. <laughs> and so, and so his thought was just like. Yeah, that was the moment I was like, the most holy is just a weird old woman. And then he meets this divine, Divine Justinia, and is like, okay, this is not what I expected. Because he was expecting an old woman who was going to fall asleep while everyone else was running the show. And instead, he's like, she's a lot younger than I thought she would be. Because she's like, instead of being ancient she's just older <laughs> and uh she's just got like one priest who's kind of like a bodyguard it's liliana mm -hmm. and that it's like she's just like really sharp and this is very different and suddenly he's kind of like i don't know if i'm uncomfortable or relieved but they do kind of see her challenging Lambert, also honoring Evangeline by having her like stand with her on the dais. Um, and there's also this great moment where the, lo the Lord Seeker, who's just being a dick all the time, is like, he says, and what price would you have us pay for such idealism, most holy? And she says, idealism is our stock in trade, Lambert. A religion without ideals is tyranny. And I'm like, whoa! <laughs> like she's just so amazing yeah. and what i love is that she's constantly putting him in his place mm -hmm. by just calling him lambert she's not calling him lord seeker she's just like lambert lambert cut it out lambert do i have to put you in time out but also at the same time it's like you see that there's this conflict of like they're just trying to keep control of the templars and by the end of this book they're losing it you know, the Chantry yeah. has split from the Templars. And also, I think what's so unique about getting this inner look at Justinia, because she plays such a big role in Inquisition, you also see that Leliana's ideals and what she does when she becomes divine, Victoria, it, it, it's not radical. It, it's She's just continuing the legacy of what one of her best friends wanted to do who was all about mage rights and making a change what i love is that she is following in justinia's footsteps mm -hmm. and enacting things that justinia would have wanted mm -hmm. and it is interesting how essentially even though justinia dies at the very beginning of dragon age inquisition before the game even mm -hmm. starts before the gameplay starts her I mean, I, spirit is kind of like a corny way to say it, but her ideals and as like she lives on mm -hmm. through Liliana, mm -hmm. through Cassandra, through everything that she has enacted. It's like her legacy continues. Mm -hmm. And so she's a very powerful voice within the game. That's true. So it was really interesting to actually read her as a character when she's alive and be like, oh, wow, she was really cool. This would have been an interesting, interesting character to get to know because she's like, she's really trying in a system that has completely, essentially, the rest of the Chantry is so used to having a divine that is decrepit. Mm -hmm. It is essentially like, I don't know, an old lady you could just put on a chair 
and then talk around mm-hmm. <laughs> that they don't know what to do with like someone who is capable it is actually like nope you gave me this power and i'm gonna use it yep um and then chapter 17 we also have evangeline becoming very disillusioned with the order she still very much believes in the chantry and the ideals and the doctrine but the order seems to have become a separate entity that's just concerned with preserving power, controlling the mages. And then also she has this little piece of paper where she tries to remember uh, Cole. She's like, Cole is a young man. He's this tall, blah, blah, blah. Because she, she keeps forgetting. And just this effort on her part, part to try to remember him is also really sweet to me. And the interesting thing with Evangeline is that she she is still night captain because Lambert can't get rid of her because the Divine has said, I want her to continue on in her work and like praised her publicly. But my God, he's doing everything he can to make her life hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's like, you're doing guard rotations alone. I've pretty much promoted your rival, the guy that I want in charge, and he has all the tasks that you're supposed to be doing. Because I've devoted you in all but name. I do also love that dialogue between Cole and Cassandra, where he's like, where she's like, whatever happened to Lambert? And Cole's like, oh, that was me. I killed him. And she's like, what? And she's excuse like, me? And he's like, yeah, he was a dick. She's like, well, I, I can't exactly argue that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so in chapter 18, so much goes on. Um, I do love that it opens with Cole overhearing the Templars kind of gossiping about Evangeline and he doesn't like it. He's like, don't talk about my mom that way. She's like, she was nice to me. How dare you? It's it's like Cole is just incredibly sweet about so many people where he's, he sees like, in general, he sees the best in people. He really, and it's almost like he wants to see the best in people too. Like, you have to really make an effort for him to not Mm -hmm. like you. Mm -hmm. So him being like, these people are the worst because they they were mean to Evangeline is kind of funny. Yeah. So he he also visits Faramond, who's about to be made tranquil again. Faramond asks him to kill him. It kind of ends on a cliffhanger here, but we do find out that even though Faramond has been stabbed, it wasn't with Cole's dagger, and Cole actually wasn't the one who killed him. Um, then at the Conclave, there's some more flirting between Reese and Evangeline, where he says he finds her attractive. And then also he's kind of standing away from the other enchanters, and Evangeline remarks a about it and he says that's because i'm special i'm the mage who might be a murderer the ladies found my dangerous alert too much to bear and started fainting and i was like that's such a funny little line and it's like so in character too for reese yeah the one thing that i um it was a prediction that i made and i was like oh thank god it didn't happen was um as soon as i realized oh that evangeline and reese were gonna be an item like, oh, yeah, this is the romance. This is what's going to happen. And as like there were descriptions constantly of Evangeline's really, really pretty. But uh, she's always in her armor. She's always, like, really tough. I was like, oh, no. Is she going to end up in a dress? And, and oh. Reese is going to be like, but you're so beautiful. And that didn't happen. Nope. And I was so grateful <laughs> because I was like, thank God he didn't go there. Where it was like, oh, but you're really beautiful. It's like, no, he... 
likes Evangeline the way that she likes herself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, essentially, the first enchanters, they have their conclave, and the reason that they don't get interrupted by Lambert is because the divine has uh, sent him a letter on urgent business. And so he goes off. And so the mages are able to have their conclave. This is what we uh, learn later on. This, this actually happens later when they've already imprisoned everyone. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's when that happens. So the Templars, yeah, the Templars actually come in and try to murder everybody. So this chaos breaks out. The, the important part is, like, before all this happens, they start talking and they're like, okay, this is the only chance that we get. Because they're not going to let us do this again. It is obvious. Like, we only got here because Wynne and the Divine were able to use their machinations and get us all here in this room together. We have to talk right now. What do we do about the circles? Do we keep them? Do we rebel? And everyone starts voting and talking and discussing. And Fiona famously says, I marked it down somewhere, but she essentially is like, we need to act. We need to do something right now. And... Is, is this the quote we, we were, you were looking for, where she's like, we're not responsible for the Templar's action, only for our own? Where she's like, we have to do what we have to do, even though there's consequences? Uh, there was... All right, here it is. I found it. It's um, It was that, but it's also when she says in 398, uh, where they're like, the divine is willing to, and she says, fuck the divine. Oh, yeah. She has some big uterus energy in this, in this scene. I love Fiona. Yeah. That was the best part, I think, because it's like, it really exemplifies, like, even though she kind of like tries to like walk it back a little bit, it's like, oh, I'm sure that she was nice. And I'm sure Grand Cleric Althena was nice. But the thing is, they're fed up. They're done. They're constantly like, as Adrian points out, they're going to kill us anyway. They're going to find an excuse anyways. So we might as well fight and try to survive. And that's the crux of their debate is, do we surrender more and more and more of our privileges as meager as they are? Or do we stand up and fight? Fiona, to me in Inquisition, if you choose to rescue the Templars, she becomes the boss battle and you have to kill her whereas if you rescue yeah. if you rescue the mages it's just this knight captain denim this like random guy like i don't care about killing this guy but so you're telling me if i rescue the templars i could potentially now have like a playthrough where the whole like alistair's dead alistair's mom is dead you know the brother like everybody's dead i'm like why did you have to kill fiona <laughs> uh there's a reason why I like to choose the mage routes. <laughs> it's like, it's really hard to keep people alive in Dragon Age. <laughs> That's true. But also this debate is so... I, 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 of course, agree that, you know, they need to fight for their freedom. But also the other side of that, the people who are like, I'm afraid to leave the, the circle. We have all those instances in Inquisition where... People were locking themselves inside their circles because everyone else is attacking them and the peasants around them are like, nobody likes the mages. They're like, yeah, if we're free, where are we going to go? We're just going to get like burned at the stake. 
So it's it's such a complicated issue where I'm like, I agree. Can I just agree with everyone? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a case of they have nowhere else to go, but they cannot stay. Yes, like they're they're dead either way. So, like I said, pretty much their best chance is get out now, and maybe just maybe they'll have a chance. It makes me so sad for mages, especially in Kirkwall and and I think those are the two examples in the games that we get of circles that are really strongly oppressed. But then finding out that even those people are so marginalized, even within their own community, because not even other mages want to help them. We have other circles doing fine. We have that example of the one circle that got completely wiped out because the Templars and mages were living together in peace. I think there's this little codex entry that you find. And then you also have Vivienne, who's like, who doesn't ever acknowledge her own privilege. And it's just like, well, why didn't any of those other mages just become like employed by the court? Like I did this all on my own. And I love Vivienne as a character. I don't agree with anything she says, but I don't, I don't have to like a character to think they're a great character. Right. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Yeah, but it's also so it's so heartbreaking that like not even other majors will stand up for majors. So so they're so there's ah breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean constantly the refrain within here that did frustrate me was that it's like oh Anders went too far, Anders went too far, and it's never a well look at how far he was pushed. Mm -hmm. Look at everything else he did. I mean, he lived in the slums being a healer for 10 years. He tried every avenue and it still came to that Mm -hmm. because essentially Elthina was like, oh, I'm going to be neutral. And honestly, in that situation, when you're neutral, you have picked your side. (laughs) I hate Elthina. I hate her so much. Oh gosh, me too. (laughs) I, I always viewed her as, like, the silent antagonist of Dragon Age 2, because she's condoning everything that Meredith does. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so at this conclave, chaos does break out. Lambert comes in. He calls all the mages' children yeah. oh, again that right. they should go to their rooms. Oh, you're right. <laughs> well, well, well. We have a theme here. <laughs> so Reese unleashes some power i think this is one of the only times we see reese really like at his full potential he's just like rah i'm powerful and there's also this really sad part where wind tries to like instead of fighting she tries to heal these mages and they're already dead and she can't do anything about it and uh it's like she's one of the most powerful spirit healers ever but how frustrating must it be to know that you can heal people? Like, it's like, you could bring people from death and to know that it's like, you were just a second off. So sad. Gosh, it's like, oh, poor Wynne. And so, but Evangeline manages to grab Wynne and they escape into the sewers. You know, like every single action movie ever, <laughs> you drop it to the sewers. No one's going to go there. This is the third man now. We're chasing through the sewers. Yes. <laughs> And essentially, she's like, we have a little bit of time. Like, we can get out. And Wynne's like, nope, I'm going to go back. I'm going to find my son. And if I if he's dead, I'm going to bring the circle down around everyone's ears. <laughs> because it turns out 
Faramund is dead. And everyone who thought that, oh, it must have been Reese who was doing this. Well, they all came in and they're like, you clearly did this. And he's like, no, I didn't. And they're like, we don't care. And so she's like, well, they're going to execute him as a murderer. I can't have that happen. Yeah, when eventually it does calm down, the Cole appears, um, eventually kind of barely remembers him, but then it comes back to her. And then they try to free Reese and also all the other mages who have been imprisoned. Um, they also do this really cool thing of having Shale destroy the whole room of phylactery so nobody can be tracked down. Which I was like, as soon as they brought up the phylactery room, this is like the Chekhov's gun. I was like, oh boy, someone's going to come in there and destroy everything. Like, that's how it's going to be. Like, <laughs> And so I was like, oh, who's it going to be? Who's going to destroy it? And then when Shale comes back, I was like, hey! <laughs> Shale's going to love this. <laughs> but plot twist, Lambert never put Reese's phylactery back in the room. He still has it. He does track down Reese and Cole through the sewers, through the dungeons. And he also kind of can always sense if Cole's around. That's how powerful he is. And he yeah. uses the litany of Vendrala. And this this is where Tabby lost her mind. And I was like, what? Cole isn't human. He's a spirit. What? Ugh. This is the big reveal. It's like, oh, no. He's a spirit. And the whole time Lambert is trying to be like, you see, he's a demon and he tricked you because you're just a dumb mage and you don't know what you're doing, even though this is your life's work. But then Cole just, he just starts crying and he fades away and it breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, because he was like, I'm a real boy. I'm a real boy. <laughs> I, the thing that's really sad is that in his own way, he is real. Uh, so this this part where Evangeline comes to save him, uh, so she dies here, but even on the second read-through, I knew she wasn't going to die, but it still made me sad, even though I knew what was going to happen. Because, like, Reese dives in the water and tries to save her, and she's like, no, my girlfriend! It makes, it makes yeah, me sad. It, yeah, he definitely has this, like, Shit, fuck, shit. No, she was trying to do the right thing again because she's stupidly noble and this is all my fault. <laughs> like, she should have just left me behind and she'd still be alive and I could live with that. Yeah. <laughs> and just his absolutely losing it because he's like, he's blaming himself. He's super upset. And Wynn's like, do you really love her that much? I can, do I can fix this, honey. <laughs> And so she does. And it's really sad. It, it is really sad, but I also thought it was a fitting end for Wynne to die here and pass her spirit on to Evangeline. Uh, I mean, I, f I feel like if Wynne had to die that way, like at least she would have wanted it with where it is her choice. Hmm. And she would want to be helping people. Hmm. So it was like, yeah, if she can't die peacefully in her sleep at the ripe age of, like, 120, I guess, you know, dying, healing somebody who is, like, her son's beloved, appropriate. Yeah, yeah. There, there was this whole thing of, like, 
before the game came out, people were like wondering who was going to be in it. And, and there was this post of like, my prediction is Wynn's going to be back in Inquisition. That's the one I want to see back. And then there's just these notes <laughs> underneath of like, oh, honey, no, like she's dead. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Everyone who read the book is like, oh, oh no. Who wants to tell him? <laughs> who wants to tell him? <laughs> like, like, okay, my big hope is that if, if Dragon Age 4 happens, that Fenris comes back. I know that he's around because their Blue Wraith is out as a comic. Yeah, so so many great characters. And, you, and then I also wonder, like, like I'll see James Norton in Little Women and I'm like, does this mean he's too famous to come back to be Cole in Dragon Age 4? Like, how dare these people be famous <laughs> like, and have Cole, a work? Cole, please, please will you do it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's people who are famous actors who still do voice acting work and all that. I mean, Mark Hamill, famously, he's really good as a voice actor. That's true. But, that's um, true. So essentially, Wynne dies, transfers her spirit to Evangeline so Evangeline can live, and everyone gets out. Yes. And Cole is still wandering the spire, now aware that he has a spirit and not a human boy. But Evangeline and Reese and Adrian and a bunch of other mages manage to escape and they get out of the White Spire. They regroup at uh, Andoral's Reach, which is like the very edge of the Orlesian Empire. They're essentially, they're just like, okay, we're regrouping and then we're going to figure out what we're actually going to do because we didn't, we didn't get to finish our conclave. <laughs> And so they're all voting and they're all in these different factions of like the libertarian faction and the antiquarians and all these different groups. And they're all like, okay, we're going to vote and we're going to decide. And then someone comes in and says, yeah, well, an entire circle just got annulled. So um, like they don't get a voice anymore because they're all dead. <laughs> and eventually the vote comes down to Reese. He's the deciding vote and he votes we're going to rebel because we have no other options. Mm -hmm. So here we also find out that Adrian was the one who stabbed Faramond to blame it on Reese. And the first time I read this, I was like, what, what a villain. But then the second time I'm like, eh, I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Like, was she right or was she wrong to do this? I mean, the results ended exactly as she predicted they would. Also, Pheromond wanted to die yeah. Yeah. because he could not bear the thought of being tranquil again. Also, when he was tranquil, he did all of this stuff anyways. Like he did all the things with the demon possession and all that, not only because the divine ordered him to, but because he logically concluded that was the best way to do it. Therefore, the right of tranquility that they said, oh, this will totally work. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, he'll never be a danger to anyone did not work. <laughs> And also Seeker Lambert, as a Seeker, he knows he's been made tranquil in that ritual. They get made tranquil for a little bit, and then they go back to normal. And Cassandra yeah. explains that later on. Yeah, in Dragon Age Inquisition. So it's like Lambert intimately knows all of this. Again, ends justify the means. Adrian maybe should have framed Reese. But Lambert was going to do it anyway. That's true. So again, it's the, 
yeah, maybe her actions incited it. But at the same time, it would have happened regardless. And the only reason she did it was because she's like, I need to convince Wynne that we're all dead. Because she thinks we can negotiate ourselves out of it. Mm -hmm. And we can't. Mm -hmm. And also there's that little bit in there where they meet one of the tranquil and she says, don't, don't mistake obedience for protection for lack of free will. Yeah. And it's, again, to like really emphasize the Templars and the Chantry have been using the right of tranquility, which is essentially a magical lobotomy mm -hmm. to just, because um, they're like, oh, it cuts them off for the fade. And that's all that we need to know. And it's like, they have no idea what it does. They just know it has the one effect they want. And so they'll do it. And so the divine is right to like question this, to look for more, like look into it, to research it, all of this. Like she's right to do that. And uh, the Templars, like it's shown in Dragon Age 2 constantly, like the Templars under Meredith's command use it willy-nilly. They don't care. They're just like, oh, this mage was fresh to me, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Time to use the right. Mm -hmm. And, like, one of them, Sir Alric, I believe, he, like, drags it out and taunts mages about it. He's like, well, when you're tranquil, you're not gonna disobey me at all. Yeah. So it is interesting to have, to have that note of uh, a tranquil say, like, it's just because it's prudent and logical doesn't mean that we always do what we're told. Well, and also there's so many points of of magic, of enchantment that they refuse to research. So many characters will tell you this, Morgan and Solis, that the Chantry has a very narrow view of magic and there's so much knowledge that they could have access to and they just refuse to do it. Yeah, I mean, again, weird fan theories of like, there's probably a ton of ways that you could avoid possession, like mages could avoid it, that they just don't research because they're like, well, this is the one way that we know it works. Therefore, it's the only way. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so essentially all of the mages have decided, yep, we're going to have to we're going to have to fight. We're a we're uh, getting rid of circles. It's done. It's over. We're rebelling. And this is the start of the Mage Templar War, which leads into Dragon Age Inquisition in the future. And the epilogue the epilogue ends with Cole sneaking into Lambert's room. Lambert wakes up, he knows something's there, and Cole's just above him being like, Look into my eyes. <laughs> That's the last line. Yeah. And we're like, Yes, he's dead. <laughs> and that essentially, essentially the whole the whole thing with um, where Lambert's like, oh gosh, it's that demon again, the demon that's calling itself Cole. And that Cole's like, yeah, there was a Cole and you forgot about him in that cell and he died. And this is what's left. <laughs> like, I was with him. I held him while he died. Mm -hmm. And I'm not helpless any longer. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's a great line. Lambert's letter is like the biggest mean girl bird where he's just like... <laughs> Most holy, you are the worst, and I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm just gonna be mad about it. And you, like you are off my friends list. <laughs> we are no longer friends. <laughs> it's like wow, Lambert. 
includes a like cut off friendship bracelet like in the letter. I don't want to be your BFF. <laughs> yeah, it's the ending I felt was like really, really strong from like the Divine Justinia, like her onwards. Like it was one thing after the mm -hmm. other and it was really built up well. So that way you're there and it's just smooth sailing. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like it took a while to get it built up to that point. But at that point, it was like, wow, this is really a solid one thing to the other to the other. And it's very clearly laid out. Yeah, a good book. I liked it. And then also through Evangeline and also a lot of the characters in Inquisition, we, we get through people like Connor on the mage side, like, well, what does that mean that we're separate from the Chantry when I never wanted that? But then the Templars have the same thing, where they're like, well, I don't want to declare myself separate from the Chantry. Like, I actually believe in this stuff. I'm not just like an evil Templar trying to abuse mages. So you have like both sides of being like, well, what does my religion mean to me? I, I thought that was interesting for them to include that in the game and the books because religion does play such a huge part in this universe. Yeah, I thought what was also really interesting in the game, and it has to do with Cullen essentially leaving the Order, but he's still a Templar at heart. I mean, Iron Bull, the Iron Bull points it out that he, you know, Templars do this, Templars mm -hmm. do that. Cullen's a Templar mm -hmm. through and through. You could take a man out, but he's still mm -hmm. a Templar. But what I enjoyed is that he really, he tries to break the leash, the lyrium addiction. And of course, if you support him, he does, which I always do, because he's my boy. Yeah, who, who, what horrible player out there is like, don't keep being addicted to, who does that? Someone who wants 100% completion. Yes, get that trophy. <laughs> but uh, I, I really appreciate that he's, He's still a Templar, and he's devoted, like, very devoted to the Chantry. But he's also, like, there are so many problems, and the only way to fix them is to, like, really dig in. Like, we can't have Templars addicted to Lyrium. We can't do this anymore. Like, and so I need to, I need to prove that I can break it, and then I can help others. <laughs> and also Evangeline doesn't even know about this. A lot of the Templars and Origins don't know that you can can wean yourself off of Lyrium. Evangeline says, oh, I have like a week left. I have like one vial of Lyrium left here and then I'm done. Then I'm going insane. So they do talk about it, how they're just tethered to the Chantry and how they don't, they don't see a way out of the cycle. Yeah, and so it was nice to have a character say, I'm going to see if it's possible. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is like, yeah, it is. It's tough. And that Cullen had a ton of reservations and he's actually really upset with himself mm -hmm. because he's like, I should be taking Lyrium so I have full access to my Templar abilities so that way I can help people. <laughs> but also I know that it's going to put me right back where I started. Mm -hmm. And that he's like, I asked Cassandra to watch me and that the moment that I start breaking, like from reality, she takes over. Yeah, I love that storyline. Yeah, it's Cullen has a really good storyline in Inquisition. I mean, a lot of people do, but I am really attached to the fact that 
he has made so many mistakes because he's turned a blind eye. He's then like ends justify the means. It's like, well, some mages do bad things. Therefore, whatever you have to do to stop the bad things from happening, like a little oppression is okay. And he's turned a blind eye to Meredith doing horrible things because he's like, well, I've seen the worst. Therefore, it's okay. And that he recognizes it as like, I made a horrible mistake. And I also love the juxtaposition to Samson, if you save the mages. Because Samson is almost like the same as Cullen, where he has this, these really good intentions. And if you read that, kind of those little stories that they published, did you ever read those for the two yeah, villains? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it talks about how he, you know, carried those letters for the mage who was then made tranquil because he was just trying to get the love letters out. And all the all that backstory in Dragon Age Two, where he's just like this lyrium addict on the streets. I almost like I feel for Samson the way I feel for Cullen, but it's like one person has that access to building a better life and really follows through on that. And then on the other hand, and you have Samson who has just the same ambition and good intentions, but then that gets so twisted through the red lyrium and through. I don't know. I just find that interesting having those two characters together and comparing them and seeing what happens to each of them. I feel that part of Cullen's frustration with Samson is that he sort of feels that Samson had the better morals in a way. Like he was ferrying these letters. He was trying to do the right thing when I was at my worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's a very interesting dynamic. And I really love the comparing and contrasting them yeah it's tragic it really is it's like what because you yeah. then wonder well what would have had happened to samson if he had had somebody like cassandra taking care of him watching him if he had had help getting off delirium yeah, it's it's really sad there's a lot of almost every character in dragon age even if i kind of like i don't like them as much like uh I empathize and I like them in some way. Like, again, with Vivian, I completely disagree with every single point she makes. I love her as a character. Yeah, but then if you make her divine, she makes some of the most progressive changes. She comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, huh. It's like, it's pretty crazy. But what I love about Dragon Age is the characters. There are some very strong, vibrant, completely different characters mm -hmm. That because you get to know them so well, you can very, very accurately figure out, like, what would they do next? What sounds like them? They have very strong voices. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I felt that in this book. I don't know. I think that was all my notes. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> that's it. All right. Where, thank you so much for being on. And where can people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter on Contraperry Chat, and you could find some of the episodes I recorded for the Red Light Library podcast. And uh, of course, you could find me on here and on another episode where we talked about Pride and Prejudice a lot. <laughs> such a good time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was such a good time. <laughs> So, yeah, that's where you could find me. Beautiful. Great. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, anytime. This was a really good opportunity to 
just ramble about Dragon Age. And that was the end of our episode. Thank you again to Anne for being on to be nerds all around. You can find us on our website, modernlifepodcast.com, on Instagram and Twitter at modernlifepod, and you can also email us at modernlifepod at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next month. Cole, do you have any proof about what you claim Lord Thika Lambert did? I was there. I didn't need proof. But he could have been brought to justice. There are rules. He used rules to hurt people. He always found a way to be right, even when he killed my friend. You had a friend? A pretty Templar. She died protecting Reese and me, but she got better. I don't even want to know what that means.